0: Let's take our Bibles tonight and open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Well, it was a few Wednesdays ago that we uh, opened up to chapter 12 and began uh, in the first two verses. And if you remember what... um, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, how those verses go. It's uh, an uncanny parallel to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we pointed out from these verses here that uh, we, are, we are really in a race. You see here in verse 1, we're to run with patience the race that is set before us. The Christian life has several analogies And this one being a race here. And then laying aside, in in the light of that race, laying aside things that would weigh us down, pull us down, pull us back. And I've mentioned here the sin which doth so easily beset us. Contextually, I believe that it's a reference to uh, a lack of faith which would result in quitting on the Lord. When we're full of faith, we are faithful. And when we're faithful then we're ready to serve the Lord and live for Him. As we lapse in faith and we lose faith, uh, that's when we tend to quit on the Lord. And so we see that theme in uh, throughout the book of Hebrews, not to quit on the Lord, not to quit on the Lord, not to quit on the Lord. And Paul makes reference to that several times. And then he gives us Jesus as our example in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then he says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. If you're going to live for the Lord, there's going to be a cross in there for you. And remember that a cross is an instrument of death. It's not a highly polished piece of ornament that we're to wear around our our neck, although there's nothing wrong with that. But the cross in the biblical sense here is an instrument of death whereby we die daily. And if I remember right, I pointed out that often we forget to live in the cross. And creatures of habit, we go back to our old habits, and we sort of live day by day in this world as if, well, this is as good as it gets, and I've got to do my best. What a huge mistake. We can do far, far better. Pause. Let me back up. God can do far, far better as we live in the cross, and then He gives the victory through us. And so we're going to pick up now uh, in the next verses. We're going to consider the best and um, one of the best and most important proofs of being a God's ch- a child of God, and that's the subject of chastening. And so after... Having spent a year and a half here from chapter 1, verse 1, right up now to chapter 12, we're about to begin verse 3, we've got a tremendous background now to be able to understand that there's a place in the Christian life for chastening. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, we thank you so very much that you make no mistakes in our lives and that everything really has been foreseen and understood and taken into account. We don't understand, Lord, fully how you could do that with one person, let alone with billions. But, Father, we thank you that you are an almighty, sovereign God and that nothing but nothing takes you by surprise and that everything, everything but everything, you know about. So please bless our study tonight. Increase our faith, Lord. We pray for those that may be going through a time of chastening right now. And, Lord, we pray that you would grant to them faith and strength, And Lord, we pray that all of us would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 3, let's uh, let's begin. So the uh, scripture here, Paul writes, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Reference back to the Lord Jesus from verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Now, there's a general principle of contradiction and a specific principle of contradiction. The general contradiction is that the created things should not rebel against the creator, but they do. So that's the first contradiction. It's a general contradiction that the creation is now in rebellion against the creator. That's a general contradiction. That should not be. The specific contradiction is when Jesus was on earth, the religious leaders opposed him. The political leaders opposed him, and yea, even members of his own family opposed him. And so Paul is telling us and encouraging us that we need to um, consider the Lord Jesus who went through and suffered great things, great things of contradiction. He says, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. The word faint has that idea of giving up, where you give up. Now, look at chapter 10 and verse 35. Paul says, cast not away therefore your confidence. Confidence which hath great recompense of reward. Do you see that? Chapter 10, verse 35. He's hitting on this, this um, uh, exhortation once again, not to quit. All through the book of Hebrews, we see this. Because, why is that? It's because the, uh, the, the, the Jewish, uh, Christian, Hebrew believers, men and women back in that first century, it was a bit of a mixture there. And some of them were very strong for the Lord and a lot of them weren't. And some of them I think just kind of went along with it and they weren't even saved because he does talk about salvation in here. But uh, this is one of the problems they were having is quitting on the Lord. The devil is going to try and make you and I quit. And he'll try different things, different ways. And sometimes he'll find a weak spot and he'll keep working on it and working on it. If you tend to have a poor self-image, if you tend to feel shattered when someone speaks evil against you, guess what the devil's going to use against you? Hmm? If you happen to have a weak spot uh, in your armor, so to speak, if you happen to have maybe a, a susceptibility to a certain sin, guess what sin the devil is going to try to bring in front of you every day, if possible? He's going to try his best to get you to faint, to get you to quit. He does the same trick on all of us. Why? Because it works, that's why it's so effective. Look at chapter 12, go to chapter 12 and look at verse 12. We're getting a wee bit ahead of ourselves, but that's all right. Verse 12, "Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees; see verse 13 and make straight paths for your feet." He's talking about it. he's encouraging, encouraging us again not to quit. So again, verse 3 he's, he's uh, preempting uh, the chastening part and he's, consider, he's saying us for us to consider uh, the Lord Jesus who endured such tremendous contradiction against himself in case, you know, we get, oh, woe is me and I may as well lay down and, and, and die. No, keep your eye on Jesus. Consider him. Look what he went through. That's what Paul is saying. You've got it tough, okay, understood, but you don't have it as tough as Jesus. You have people who contradict you? Okay, understood, but you don't have it anywhere near as bad as what our Savior did. And so consider Him. Sometimes people try to encourage others that may be sick or diseased or possibly uh, paralyzed in some way, and they try and, and encourage them by saying, you know what, it could always be worse. Yeah, I see you're paralyzed in your left leg, but it could be worse. It could be you paralyzed in both legs well, I suppose you got a point there. I guess it could be worse. And they try to encourage one another that way. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But here in the scripture, we're told to turn our eyes to Jesus. Like verse two, looking unto Jesus, consider him. And we need to do that more often. We need to keep Jesus in mind more often. This coming Sunday night, I'm going to be preaching a message on prayer. And it has to do with, keeping our eyes on Jesus and keeping him more in our focus and in our minds throughout the day. I think you'll find it very practical. That's this coming Sunday night. I hope you come. Now, verse 4, he says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In a nutshell, what he's saying is none of you yet are martyrs. Yeah, some of you are having it tough. Maybe you've lost a job because of your Christian faith. Maybe some of your family have turned their back on you because of your Christian faith. Maybe you've lost some something financially, or maybe even you've been pushed down to the ground because of your Christian faith. That may be true. You're being persecuted, but you haven't died yet. You're not a martyr yet. And that's what Paul is bringing out here. Hey, that's true. I guess I'm not a martyr yet. I got it tough, but I sure didn't have it as tough as Jesus. And if you're going to point out a martyr, I think Jesus might be a, a good example. You see, he kind of he could have fought back. Even before Pilate, he was quiet as can be. I believe that if Jesus had wanted to, he could easily have refuted all of the arguments against him, and Pilate would have been forced to just let him go free. But that would have frustrated the plans of the cross, wouldn't it? And so in order to fulfill God's perfect will, He was quiet as a lamb before his shearers. And boy, did they uh, nail him to the cross. There's a martyr there. There's a martyr. Well, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So let's remember that. Although some of us may have it tough, we haven't died yet, have we? You know, there are Christians that are being killed around the world. You know that. There's countries where it's highly illegal to be a Christian. They catch you then uh, they, they can imprison you and torture you. You know that. Uh, even some of our missionaries are working in places in the world where it's against the law to uh, evangelize. And uh, they have to be oh so careful because they can be arrested and, and put into a prison and they can be tortured. Now imagine if that happened here. Imagine if all of a sudden it became illegal to share the gospel. What are we going to do? We've got a whole bunch of gospel tracts. We've got a whole bunch of people trained to be soul winners. Do we just give up on all of that? What about all of the missionaries that we support? Do we just say, you know, too bad, so sad? And what do we do? Well, we have to obey God rather than man. Isn't that right? And we say, well, wait a minute. What if it's going to cost us? It's all right. It's okay. God can look after us. He can get us through. You say, what if they kill us? Well, the good news is they can only do it once. And then we're with the Lord. But all we're saying here is that we're gonna face persecution, we're gonna to have tough times and hardships and so on, but we haven't been martyred yet. And that's, that's the, the message of verse 4. Well, we come to verse 5 and 6. And before we read these, I'd like you to uh, turn back to the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Let's go there now, shall we? Proverbs chapter 3, because what we have is a quote. Paul reaches back to the book of Proverbs chapter 3, and he makes a quotation. And we're going to go to verse 11 and 12. I'd like you to read those verses out loud with me together, would you please? Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. Read it out loud now. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction for whom the Lord loveth he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth." Now, that's biblical. That's good advice. And here Solomon is writing to his son, and he's telling his son there's going to come a time, probably several times, many times, when the Lord's going to have to correct you. And when that happens, he says, don't despise it here, and don't grow weary, don't faint here. And he gives the reason for whom the Lord loveth. He correcteth. Okay, now let's uh, go back to Hebrews and chapter 12 and verse 5. So Paul preempts it by saying, And ye have forgotten the exhortation, which is true. We usually forget this, you know. When we go through tough times, what is it that comes to our mind first? Usually is, Oh no. And what comes to our mind second? Why me? And what comes to our mind third? Oh, this is going to be tough. You see, what does not come to our mind first is the Lord is here, the Lord chastens, you know, the Lord is doing this, the Lord loves me. Uh, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 do not come to mind. We forget that. And that's what he's saying here in verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth now i mentioned tonight we're going to be talking about one of the best and really the most important proofs of being a child of god and that's chastening the truth is god only chastens his children he does not chasten someone else's children. You who are parents, you chasten your own children. You don't chasten the next door neighbor's kids. That's for their parents. You don't chasten the kids from around the corner, around the block, in the next city. No, they've got parents. Let them look after that. You've got children. You look after your own, parent, your own children. Now, Jesus, in speaking to the Pharisees, said, Ye are of your father, and he named the father. What was the name? The devil. Right. Ye are of your father, the devil. Right? So we have two basic fathers. We have the devil, and we have God. And both of them have children. God chastens his children. He doesn't chasten the devil's children. He'll punish them. You know, they'll get what's coming to them, but he doesn't chasten them. say, well, what's the difference? We'll see that in a moment. Um, So let's look at verse 5. He says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Keep that in mind. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Keep that in mind too. Number one, the chastening. Chastening is discipline for the purpose of moral purification. That's what chastening is. When you read about chastening or chaste in the Bible or chastise, the idea is a form of correction, a discipline, but it has a purpose. And the purpose is not punitive or just punishment for punishment's sake. The, The end result of the chastening is moral purification. And that's exactly what good parents do to their children. When good parents see that their children uh, are going the wrong way, they'll take steps necessary to help bring the child back into the right and good way. Uh, Children need to learn responsibility. And I know it's not built into them, but that's why we have to get after them and remind them to clean up their room. We have to remind them to do their homework. We have to remind them to brush their teeth and wash behind their ears. We have to remind them of these things, right? Right? because they don't come with those good habits built in. And uh, these these are good life habits. And children should be properly brought up and trained how to function in an adult world. This is not a child's world we live in. It's an adult world. And so the responsibility of mom and dad, particularly dad, is to make sure that the children are brought up with everything they need in order to function for God I'm talking in the context of a Christian family, to function properly for God in an adult world. And so you think, parents, maybe of something that was deficient in your upbringing, as if to say, boy, if I had to do my life over, I'd make sure that I learned this trade and this uh, habit, and I'd make sure I would do this, and I would make sure I would do that, and I would maybe do better in school, and you know what I'm saying. So now you look at your child. How do you want your child to grow up? Usually, most parents will say, well, I sure want them to grow up better than I did. Many say that. Now, some had a wonderful upbringing and, you know, you can't improve upon it. Well, yeah, good for you. But for the greater majority of us, you know, we wish we, we were a little stronger in certain areas and, and uh, we were a little wiser in some other areas. Well, that, your children have to be brought up that way because the Bible promises us a child left to himself bringeth his mother to, to shame. It's not glory. There's no glory there. The mother will hang her head in shame and say, I feel so ashamed. I feel so ashamed. It's my son. That's my daughter. Look, they're 18 years old. They're, they're 25 years old. And they, oh, I feel so ashamed. And they may feel ashamed of themselves that they uh, didn't uh, take their children in hand sooner because a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And so maybe mother and father will afterwards look back and say, oh boy, you know, wish we had spent more time with the kids. Not just fun and games, but in training them, teaching them. Wish we'd spend more time with the kids, teaching them Bible stories and Bible verses and Sunday school songs. Wish we'd spent more time with the kids. Bringing them to church, going forward with them on invitations. Wish we'd spend more time with the kids. You get what I'm saying? So a child left to himself will only bring his mom and dad, I think, to shame. And so it's very important that uh, we bring up our children the best, you know, we can and prepare them for an adult world. And God is a father. And so what God does is he takes the responsibility of a father. And when he sees uh, behavior in us that's worldly or taking us the wrong way, then he will lovingly Chasten us, correct us, to bring us back to the the good and narrow way. We're told in the Bible all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is that good and proper way in which you're to live your life. You're to believe what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. That's good doctrine. So it's profitable for doctrine, but we don't always walk the proper way. We get off the highway and we get into the world. And so that's why it says it's good for doctrine and for reproof. Reproof is where it, it, it sort of, uh, the Word of God arrests us in our heart and mind and says, hey, hold on, fella, just a sec. What you're doing is wrong. The way you're going is not right. And then it says for correction. That's to get us back on the highway. And uh, see now, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. And what's the last one? Instruction in righteousness. And what that means is, is to help us not get off the highway again, to instruct us. And so the job of good parents is to bring up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And there's a lot involved, you know. To be a good parent and to do the proper thing, you you have to, it's, it's a full-time job, I'd say. And uh, one child is uh, is a full-time job. Two children is a three-time job. <laughs> Four children is about a six-time job. You get the idea. You know, and you keep adding children. You keep adding more employment opportunities <laughs> for yourself. It's, uh, it's not something you want to take uh, lightly. Otherwise, we're going to have regrets. We're always going to look back. And yeah, we may have lots of money, but we're not going to have lots of children left. You know, the devil's going to take them on us. So, well, we're not here to talk so much about that. But chastening, when God chastens us. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. That's the discipline for moral purification. And we're told here not to despise it because if we despise it, um, what's going to happen is it's going to make us bitter at God. That's what happens, unfortunately, in some families um, when, say, discipline is done very improperly and the child is... uh, you know, really beaten or something crazy like that, it sort of breaks the child's spirit and they become bitter. And we we see that happening even in people's treatment toward animals. If someone treats an animal like a family pet improperly, that family pet can change and become very snarly and very bitter toward the owner because um, it's been uh, unduly uh, pushed beyond its limits. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen around the world in some places. And that can cause a very bitter spirit between the the child and uh, the parents. Sometimes children grow up with a bitterness toward their parents, and their parents didn't even lay a hand on them. But yet it was the treatment that the parent gave to the child. And the child can grow up very bitter. And, of course, then that just brings more problems because God... God says, if you honor your parents, I'll honor you. If you bless your parents, I'll bless you. That's his promise in in Ephesians. And so uh, the child grows up bitter against her mother or bitter against his father. And that bitterness is just an open door to uh, the devil uh, to come and, and cause more damage. But it withholds the blessing of God. And it just compounds the problem. Now, when we are bitter toward God for his chastening, And if we look upon something, well, I know I wasn't living such a good Christian life, but God didn't have to go and do that to me. Boy, that that really hurt. I'm really mad at God. I know I wasn't the best Christian. I know I should have done more. But boy, when he allowed that to happen, that was the last straw. You see, that's a bitter spirit, isn't it? And that'll just open the door as if to say, come on in, devil, beat me up. Come on in, all you uh, uh, miserable fallen uh, angels there and and just mess up my life. Now, listen, Christian people, born-again people, cannot be inhabited by a demon. But Christian people can be messed up by demonic influences. That is true. And we've got lots of biblical evidence of that. Unsaved people can be inhabited by a demonic spirit. That is true, that's demon possession. When you got saved, Jesus Christ came live inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus, when Jesus is in your, your heart, in your soul, a demon can't get in. But a demon can, from the outside, really rattle your house and smash some windows and cause a lot of problems from the outside and so that's why we need to stay close with the Lord. But when God chastens us, it's for our blessing, our protection. When we go and despise that, all of a sudden now it's, um, it's short-circuiting the whole beautiful process. Uh, proper chastening is supposed to bring about uh, submission and humility and a sweet spirit. But when bitterness gets in there, it short-circuits things, and causes problems so we're not to despise it and then secondly he says here in, in the end of verse five he says um, faint not when thou art rebuked of him the word rebuke means to push back you say how does God push back well God does it probably several ways but two ways that I can think of is number one he'll do that through preaching and um, it happens where um, um, I'll preach what I feel God wants me to preach, and afterwards someone will communicate to me that uh, uh, they're upset with me because of what I preached. Uh, you, you, uh, you, you were thinking of me. You preached that against me, didn't you? And uh, I've had people leave the church over the years because of that. And I'm not alone. That, ha- that happens a lot in God's churches. When uh, the, the, the pastor preaches on the word, of, the word of God or something, and he'll, as you go through the word of God, you, you cover a lot of subjects, a wide variety of them. And so uh, in the normal course of preaching, you're gonna hear a lot on different subjects and so on. And there may be sit, someone sitting there and they got their favorite sin. And so uh, when that is dealt with, all of a sudden, huh, I always knew there was something wrong with that pastor. I'm out of here. And then they go and find some place where they they don't preach against sin. So, uh, you know, I don't think they preach much against sin, you know, in uh, some of the... I I shouldn't go there. Sorry, I'm just sort of... Never mind that. But uh, God will push back through preaching, but he'll also push back by using the Holy Spirit and convict your, your conscience, convict your soul on something. Now, let's move on to verse 6. And it's a a continuation of the quote. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I want you to see the basis of God's chastening is God's love. That's why he does it. That's exactly why he does it. And if you think of um, the example of a human home when a little junior, you know, opens his mouth and says a bunch of four-letter words and, you know, cusses his mother or something like that, boy, has he ever crossed a line. Oh, that means I've got, to, I've got to discipline the little guy. I don't want to do that. Oh, you know, it's just easier just to kind of pretend we didn't hear it. Try that, and you'll find that tomorrow it's worse. And then next day after that, it's even worse. And the day after that, I don't even want to talk about. Bible says, he that spareth his rod, what's the next word? Hateth, hateth his son. When God disciplines us, it's because he loves us. That's why. The whole basis of God's chastening in our lives is his love for us. He loves us so much. He has an invested interest in us. And he will act as a father and lovingly correct us and bring us back on the, the proper narrow road. So that's important that we understand that. He has no other motive, no other reason for the chastening but his love. Now it says here that he scourgeth. See that in verse 6? scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, sometimes when you read that word, you know, if you've been a Christian any length of time and if you've been to communion services, we talk about how the Lord Jesus was scourged and we talk about what the scourge was. You know, this little handle and five or seven of these long pieces of slender leather and on the end they would tie uh, pieces of glass or bone or sharp metal and they would use this on the prisoner and rip the flesh right off them. That is true. That's what happened to Jesus. But that is not what the father does to his children. God does not do that. That was the devil's people doing that to Jesus, the son of God. That is not God doing that to his children. The word scourge means, it does mean a whip, but it means like a slender willow. And that is so common so common 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 now I know we live in a modern days and oh child discipline that's against the law and blah 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 I've heard that for years and years and listen I'm the first one against uh, child abuse I'll be the first one you know in line to voice my you know my my opinion I don't believe in child abuse at all at all at all at all but I do believe that there is a place, a time and place for godly, proper, loving discipline. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, someone may uh, misinterpret what I just said and someone may try and persecute me. That's all right. I've been persecuted before. Years ago, I've been persecuted before with that kind of stuff. That's all right. It doesn't bother me anymore. My kids are grown. You know, so I... I, don't, I can't do anything, so it doesn't matter. But anyhow, my, my point is not me. My point is really God and what God does in the life of his son and his daughter. It's what God does. So that's the main thing. Now, watch this, verse 7. He says, if ye endure chastening. <laughs> you, you see, there are some things in life that need to be endured, right? And chastening is one of them. Can you think of anything else the Bible talks about that needs to be endured? I'll give you a hint, sound, it begins with the letter D, doctrine, sound doctrine. That's what Paul said to Timothy, it needs to be endured. That means that sometimes, you know, when you come and you you sit there and you listen to the preaching, sometimes it's a bit wearisome, isn't that right? Say yes, you won't embarrass me that's the way it goes I'll give you a little hint here I'll give you a little inside tip sometimes I got to endure it too (laughs) you know when God lays on my heart what to preach and uh, sometimes I get into the sermon and sometimes I can see your reaction know, boy you're almost sitting on the edge of your your chair taking it all in other times you're having trouble staying awake well in those times sound doctrine must be endured So anyhow, we try to keep things within reason and we we like to give nice padded pews to sit on so it does make it a bit easier, I suppose. But something that is very important that must be endured is chastening. When God chastens you, you need to endure it. And the promise is that if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. That's pretty exciting. Now go back to chapter 10 again and look please at verse 36. It says here, for ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And it's that principle of when you serve God, when you go through what you need to go through, there's a blessing, there's a reward on the other side. And God always does that. When we need to be chastened, God will do the chastening, but if we will endure it, we'll hang in there with him, then God deals with us in a special way. And here it says, God dealeth with you as with sons. So note here, if ye endure, meaning what? Meaning that some people don't endure it. If you endure, God will bless you. He'll give you the treatment, the father-son treatment. If you don't endure, which some people don't, say, what happens? They quit on God. What I, listen, I know I'm not the best Christian. I know, I know this, I know that. But God had no right to do what he did in my life and make me suffer this and make me feel pain here and make me lose that. Boy, that's it. I'm out of here. And they quit on God. They quit on the Bible. They quit on church. They quit, they quit, they quit is what they do. And what Paul is saying is and hold on. Whew. Listen, he says, if ye endure chastening, then God dealeth with you as with sons. There's a, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's something good out there coming if you'll endure it. Um, he says in verse 7, For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now, did I get that right? Is that what, does it mean what it says? Does it really mean that? For what son? Can you think of a son of God's that he didn't chasten. Can you think of one? Because I can't. Someone says, well, wait a minute. Jesus was God's son. Hey, how about that? Jesus, what does he need chastening for? Well, I would sort of agree with that, except if it weren't for chapter five of Hebrews. Let's look at that. Chapter five and verse eight. You know, I might, I might be tempted to agree with that, but look what chapter 5, verse 8 says. Though he were a son, capital S, reference to Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Here's the Lord Jesus going through the suffering and the chastening, if you were. It was, why is it that? Because he learned things, that's why. So anyhow, you can argue that if you like. Verse 8, chapter 12, verse 8 but if ye be without chastisement, in other words, God is not doing any chastening in your life, whereof all are partakers, all meaning all of God's children, all of his sons, all of his daughters, everyone who's born again partakes in chastening. So don't think that God has singled you out because we've all gone through it. And I'll tell you something, I've gone through more than my share maybe. Boy, have I been chasing, Has a God ever taken me to the woodshed on numerous occasions to try and drum some sense into my head? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now that word bastard is a biblical word. It's used very improperly today in a derogatory kind of way, a cussing kind of way. But it is a Bible word, and a bastard means to be born out of wedlock. Now technically the word means a son of a side saddle. They would put these side saddles on the horses and the donkeys and in them they would put their belongings. The idea is that the person is transient. And so um, if you were born out of wedlock, it's like you were kind of transient. You've got no permanent home. You've got no fixed address. You were a son of a side saddle. And that, that's technically the etymology of the word bastard. But legally, you might think, well, so what? So what? You know, people are prejudiced against all kinds of things. No, no. A bastard has no legal standing. Uh, a bastard has got no legal right to the family name. He's got no legal right to any kind of family inheritance. He's got no legal leg to stand on. Now, that's the way it used to be. Laws are changing now, I know. We live in a weird world, but that's, that's the implication of that, is that people who have children out of wedlock, the children are bastard in that they don't have the, uh, the, the legal protection and the legality of the family name and so on it's like they're almost an orphan, although they're not quite, but legally it's like they've got nothing. And so when you understand that and you realize if ye be without chastisement, whereof all our partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. In other words, you're not born into God's family. That's what Paul is saying. You're not born again into God's family, you're of another family. And remember we said earlier, there are two families, and the first family's father's name, what? The devil. and the second family's father's name, what? God. And so if you're not born again properly into God's family, that means that you're bastard. You're out there. You've got nothing, no legal claim in God's family. You've got none of the benefits, none of the inheritance, none of the sonship. You've got nothing. Isn't that interesting? Goes back to this business of chastisement. Do you see why it's so important. Now think, 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 think. In your Christian life, have you ever been chastened by God? Has God ever chastened you? Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit convicting you over sin that you've done? Have you ever felt the Spirit of God telling you that you're walking the wrong way here, fella? Come on back, get right, get back. Get back with the program. Have you ever read the scriptures and felt they were speaking to you and maybe condemning you for something in your lifestyle? All this is part of chastening. According to this, if you have none of that, that's an evidence you're not saved. One of the evidences of salvation is that you're a partaker of God's chastening. Verse 9. Furthermore. So now Paul is strengthening what he says with further evidence and proof. He says furthermore we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Now remember good earthly fathers will correct their kids when they go when the kids go wrong. It's normal. Listen to this. It's normal. For children properly raised to respect their parents that's normal. That's the way it ought to be. That's the norm He then says in verse 9 shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live Now the father of spirits means this that God has given every one of us a human spirit It's the human spirit you have in you that keeps your body alive You are a soul in a body animated by a spirit. That's why they say when, when you die, you give up the ghost. It's not your soul that you give up, although that does exit the body. It's the spirit. That spirit animates, keeps your heart pumping, keeps things healing and so on in your life. That's the job of the spirit. Spirit also, I think, has other functions as well, but we'll talk about that another time. It's the father that gives us the spirit. If he takes the spirit away, our body falls to the earth, dead. As soon as that spirit is gone, there is no life in the body. It's gone. And then the soul departs. If it's saved, it goes to heaven. If it's lost, it goes to hell. But the spirit... So look at it again here. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? So in other words, God is the giver of human spirits. So let's obey him and live. Do you remember in Acts chapter five, reading about Ananias and Sapphira? Do you remember that? Yes? Yes? Did they, did Ananias and Sapphira, did they continue to live into chapter six or did they die in chapter five? Anybody know? What is it, what's the answer? They died, yeah, very suddenly. So what happened? God just took their spirit down they went. It's because of their, their lying. Now, God did several purposes with that, and you know, he warned the whole church and the community, too, hey, don't go pretending you're saved. But anyway, we'll preach about that another time. But that's a good example right there of the human spirit. Verse 10, for they, that's our human fathers, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Now the few days, that means all those growing up years, those 18 years that they had us, that we were, you know, parked our feet under their table, and they raised us from infancy right up to 18 or 20 or whatever it was, those few days. They did it for their pleasure. The pleasure means making us pleasing in their sight. And if they were good parents, good fathers, then they they made us good. But Paul goes on to say, but he, that's God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. His holiness. Look at back at verse 6 again. Uh, he says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You say, why? It's to make us holy, it's to bring about moral purity in us. And holiness is profitable because God is holy. The more holy you are, the more of God you have, and the more that of, God, of more the view that God has. so it's a two-way street. Um, very important that we never, ever short-sell holiness. And so verse 11 is where we're going to park. We're finishing on verse 11. Paul says, "Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous." Boy, isn't that the truth? Every time you go through something chastening, something tough, you you know, you say, oh boy, here we go again. No one likes it. No one likes pain. No one likes loss. But look at verse 11. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's where the holiness comes in the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I like that because it takes all of that craziness out of us. We become calm in our soul. That's where the wisdom comes in. Maybe you know of people that are just, they fly off the handle, you know, all the time. They need to be calm in their soul. And chastening will bring that about. Chastening is like seeds of holiness sown into our lives. So it says... Again, no chastening seems good but bad. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, they don't quit, they stay with the program. It's almost like an exercise program, and they stick with it. When God chastens a Christian, it's not so as to subdue him into a robot like slave but to make him more like Jesus in love and compassion and humility and usefulness too. That's why we need chastening. It has to be a part of our lives. It used to be that when shipbuilders needed timber to make a mast for a sailing vessel, now the mast, especially the main mast, you know, goes up through the middle of the ship, and from that they hang the sails. But it used to be that when shipbuilders needed timber to make the mast for the sailing vessel, they did not cut it from the trees in the valley, but they cut it from trees up on the mountainside where the trees had been buffeted by the winds because they knew that those were the strongest trees. There's an old Norse saying that the north wind made the Vikings. Do you understand that? How many know what the Vikings were? That's uh, not enough hands. <laughs> so does that mean you don't know what the Vikings were? The helmets and the horns, you know, and the ships and all of the furs they would wear. And, and they would wear the battle axes and stuff. The Vikings? huh? And there's a saying that it was the north wind that made the Vikings. The adversary, the opposition, the winds that blew against them made it hard for them, but it made them tough. The old Greek Spartans were like that too. Job was one of the wisest and most godly men of his day. And yet he too needed the rebuke of the Lord in the end. And so I want to encourage you tonight. Let's learn this lesson. Never despise God's chastening. And never quit on the Lord. Let's pray.